Good evening, everyone. This is Molly Rowan Leach of Molly Rowan Presents. So pleased to see you all here tonight. And before welcoming our very special guest, who happens to be coming into the circle tonight with us from Bali, I just wanted to welcome you all, if you're new to the Restorative Justice and Social Healing ongoing telecouncil series, uh, extra special warm welcome to you tonight. Um, you can find out more information about this series at mollyrowanpresents.com. The intention and underpinning guiding principles of the ongoing telecouncils is to provide an educational platform, an open forum for discussion, and uh, to facilitate growing awareness and also an awareness of how to take actions in the realms of restorative and unitive justice, and also to have compelling dialogue with people from within the systems themselves. So I'm, I'm truly excited tonight to have somebody who deeply has touched my own life. Uh, I read his book recently. And um, just want to say a few words about Kenny Johnson, who is, like I said, coming with us into Circle tonight all the way from Bali, Indonesia. He's based in the San Francisco area, and he's an author of a very powerful book that I just read cover to cover recently called The Last Hustle. Kenny, has devoted his Kenny used to devote his life to crime beginning in his early teens and served over 20 years in various city, county, state, and federal prisons. During his early years in prison, he spent most of his time participating in all sorts of religious and substance abuse groups. Hopefully, in one of these groups, he would hear the magic words that would release him from the grip of his inner and outer prisons. It was his inner desire for freedom that led him to a band of truth seekers to a meeting in the prison chapel. Kenny, like I said, is the author of The Last Hustle. He was paroled from prison in 1997 and successfully discharged from supervision. Like I said, he resides and is based in California. He visits inmates at the San Quentin prison and around the world. He has founded an incredible organization called This Sacred Space, which is a nonprofit dedicated to sharing the timeless message that real freedom resides within each one of us. He also is implementing a very powerful project for inner city children in Oakland, which I hope that I'm, well, I'm sure he'll share with us about more tonight. So without further ado, welcome so very warmly to you, Kenny. And just wondering if you might start out tonight by sharing um, about your life's journey and what brought you to this incredible realization about prisons, the, the kinds that come uh, from within and without? Thank you. First of all, I want to say hello to everyone. I am, I am happy to be here <laughs> in more ways than one. And uh, I want to let everyone know I have so many minutes on my phone, so once it runs out, I'm done. <laughs> but I want to say that um, how I got started in this journey was really quite, um, it was appropriate in a lot of ways because in order for me to have, to find myself, this love, this truth, this freedom, I had to be able to go within myself regularly and consistently in order to keep tapping into something deeper than just my uh, life situations. I was born an African-American kid in Arkansas uh, back in 1948. Uh, I lived with my grandmother for a while. Then uh, I got a little too uh, busy for her, uh, troublesome for her, so she sent me to live with my mother in Kansas City, Missouri, with my siblings. And can everybody hear me? Yes, you're perfect, Kenny. Just uh, okay, make sure okay. to speak close to the mic since it's, this is an international from Bali. <laughs> Thank you. Okay. Uh -huh. And so what happened, I got to Kansas City, Missouri, and that's where a lot of my troubles started because I'm in the city and 
there were so many choices for me, and I was approximately eight or nine years old, and and looking for some help, some guidance. And I went to the boys' club, and I discovered young boys that were like myself who like to get in trouble, hang out at night, and and it started early, you know, um, just finding my tribe, finding my group, finding some direction or support of or just love. I was really looking for love. And all young kids out there, when they're looking for love in their own unique way, and I realized I just wanted the love of my peers and my friends. And that desperate uh, looking for love and need for love led me to hang out with the wrong type of kids. And next thing I know, I started stealing and taking from stores and stealing off potato chip trucks and uh, going to department stores and stealing wine and stuff like that. And I became troublesome, and I became a, started stealing cars, joyriding, and it kept progressing. And I ended up in a juvenile facility, and that was when I was about 14 years of age, and that's when my life of crime uh, actually earnestly began because I was able to go to a juvenile facility, even though it was rough and bad and terrifying. I could survive there. And once a person can, can, can survive in a very difficult, hellish situation, then they're no longer afraid of it, and then they repeat the process. Yes, that goes for women that are in bad relationships, that go for people that are on drugs, that go for people who live having jobs they don't really like, or relationships they're not really crazy about. So I, I was a love-hate relationship I had with prison and jail and crime, but uh, it was the only one I knew, and I, after a while, became a country to it and just embraced the life of crime. At the same time, my mother had given me principles on how to read the Bible or why to read the Bible and to try to find God in the, in the Word. So I took that into jail with me. So when I was in solitary confinement, I would read the Bible, I would read spiritual material, religious material at that time, just to find some type of solace or comfort while I was in a very um, depressing state of mind. Mm. And so, ahead. And so, so after I as a, as I slowly progressed up this ladder, it was like a progress into going deeper and deeper into prison. I learned how to become a better a better hustler, a better criminal, and started making more money and and more friends and getting more love from women and from my my peers. And so by the time I got, let me back up here. The turning point in my life was sort of like solidified my life of crime was when I was 15 years of age. I just got out of the boys' home. And my mother wanted me to be able to uh, turn my life around before that even worse. So she found a mentor for me who would teach me how to become a carpenter, a, uh, a, a, a uh, painter, a journeyman, you know, of the trades. And I said, okay, sure. But the, it was a deal from the you know, summer of 1965. I would work with Conrad, stay in his house with his family, you know, babysit his children, learn the trades, and then in return he would, at the end of summer, be able to pay me so that I would be able to buy my school clothing because I was very poor. And so I did all he asked me to do all this summer. I I was thrilled. I was excited because I knew Christmas was coming in August <laughs> for me. Mm-hmm. And I would be able to go shopping and buy myself clothes and things like that because I saw all the young kids going to high school, how finely dressed they were, and I want to be as finely dressed as they were. My stepfather, he was an alcoholic. And he uh, uh, could only take care of so many of us because his paycheck was so small and he was a chef cook, so he could only make so much. And my mother, she stayed at home taking care of all of us. So we all lived off just, nine of us were living off one paycheck, you know. So the best my mother could do was put food on the table and not clothes on our backs. <clears throat> and so it was in this scene or this setting is that when Conrad came into my life, that, you know, took me over, took me on. And at the end of the summer, you know, it was time to get paid. And Conrad took me to his office, made the check out, handed it to me. 
in uh, in this ritual or this ceremony of, of employer and employee, I looked at the check and I saw that he had to live the Prince Bargain. And I was depressed and I was sad and I took the check to my mother. I said, he gave me $32. He said he took out the food, he took out the living expenses, he took out for this. I said, but that wasn't a deal. And my mother, she just said, well, the Lord's going to take care of his son. And that was it. And so I was left, left to my own devices, and I got angry, and I got depressed, and I got totally disenchanted with authority, with family, with the work, with Jesus, all of it, the church. And so I went to my little uh, juvenile buddies, buddy, Pete, and asked him would he help me make some money. And Pete took me out there one day, and he showed me how to steal money out of the out of the back room of office, out of the safes. Once I knew how I could sneak into an office or, and crawl on the floor and steal the money out and, and, and get steal the money from wherever it was and get out without being seen, I knew I had a way to care of myself and I did not need my mother or comrade or nobody else telling me what to do. And that was my break with society, that was my break with the church, and that was my break with my mother and all adults. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and go please keep sharing. I I it's really powerful to hear uh the depth of uh to which you went in this journey. Yeah. And, and then yeah. Okay, and then what happened as I you know, became more and more skillful at learning how to take care of myself, I started hustling with other players and, and thieves and learning different ways to steal money and to make money. I, my whole life was just about making money. I just want to make money. That was it. I didn't want to hurt nobody. I didn't want to rape anybody. I didn't want to kill anybody. I just want to be able to make money and put food on my table in, in my belly. That was the main thing. That's the feed, feeding my appetite, my desires. I just want to take care of myself and clothe myself. That's the basics of basics of what all human beings want. I just happen to do it the way of the criminal. Uh, making a long story short, I ended up in jail, a reformatory for stealing. And while I was in, uh, that was in 1966, and I did 32 months in a juvenile reformatory, uh, prison reformatory in Hutchinson, Kansas. And while there, I learned how to uh, read. I read Malcolm X, James Baldwin, and Rand. I read uh, Socrates, Plato. I did a lot of reading. Um, and also, I learned how to play saxophone, and I uh, became a musician. And, and I got back out of jail, got went back home, tried to find a job, couldn't find a job. I only had so much money after, after getting out of prison. Immediately, I found a, a hustling friend. We tried to do a robbery. I got caught about four months out of jail and right back to prison. You know. and so I went back to prison almost six or seven months later after getting out in 1968. And I stayed in jail another four years, and I went back to read and study, you know, uh, capitalism, socialism, Marxism, politics, economics, uh, playing a saxophone again, getting, getting in the band. Uh, it was here in, in 19, from 1969 to 1972 where I really grew as a criminal. And when I got out, when I, I uh, started, what criminals do, they hang out with each other in prison, and they tell each other stories on how to become a better person. It's like university or college or something. Well, you go there and you just learn how to become a better criminal. So what happened to me? I got out in 1972, and I found my, I had, I had by then, I, I had a daughter who was about six years old. Her name was Jeanette. And her and her mother and I, her and her mother became, teamed up as, as, uh, as hustlers. And we started stealing and making money and got us a place to stay and, and cars and jewelry and our life was great. About and I became a I learned how to cash checks, so I became very sophisticated. And so two years later, I got arrested again. In 1973, late 1974, I got arrested, and I went back to jail. And they um, accused me of a lot of crimes that I didn't commit, and they sentenced me to 15 years. And I did not want to. I, I was not ready to go back to prison. So what I did. I got so depressed and I got so uh, anxious to get out of prison, I devised a plan to escape from jail. And I devised a plan and the plan worked and I escaped from jail. 
and I stayed on the run for four years, uh, running from the FBI to state authorities. And while I was out, wow. I became a pimp. You know, when that's question money. Oh no! I was just saying, wow! I, it's just—it's an extreme journey that you took. I mean, I wouldn't even mm. journey, maybe putting it lightly, but um, and and in in your book, the last hustle, um, I felt like I was with you in you know in all of these experiences, um, mm. and I wonder sometimes um, for those of you who haven't yet read the book, I highly recommend it, and you can find it. Um, on Amazon.com, and his website, uh, Kenny's website for the book is thelasthustle.com. Um, and you also have a website for this sacred space, uh, which uh, later on in the call we'll talk about this sacred space. Right. Um, but yeah, do you do you feel like the depth of uh, to which you went um, also supported? The, the the realizations that you've had, and and you don't have to answer that in this moment. Uh, I'd really love to hear a little bit more about uh, a few of the major key points of your story, um, um, okay. and then we'll talk about uh, the underpinning the underpinning uh, paradigm uh, philosophy behind how the whole system works. How does that sound? Okay, that sounds good. Uh, what happened was, uh, what happened is that when I got out and became a bit, I was on on a run from the FBI. I became extremely um, you know, uh, sophisticated in a lot of ways, was making a lot of money, and I was almost, I was above the law for years because I was uh, I knew how to use the check cashing uh, system to really make money and not uh not get caught. And so I was out for a number of years and making money, making money. And then I made, as all criminals do, I made a slip up and I got caught and the federal government stepped in. And when the federal government stepped in, they indicted me. This was in 1982. They caught me in Colorado, <clears throat> took me back to uh, Cedar Rapids, Iowa, and they uh, sentenced me to 40 years for bad checks. Uh, the judge says, you know, you've been a criminal all your life. I've seen you from age 15 years to end out of prison. I'm going to give you plenty of time to find your God and to find yourself. So he gave me 40 years in, in the federal system back then, 1982. That meant I had to do 10 years before I could be released from prison on parole. And so I was 32 years of age at the prime of my life out there. I, I was at the peak. And they put me in prison for, for 10 years. And the whole world, when I got out of 19, in 1992, the whole world had changed. Computers was in, was in vogue. Cell phones was happening. ATM machines was going on. People were driving around in their cars with their lights on during the daytime. It was just like, it was like I came from the cowboy, age, cowboy days into the space age almost. I'm like, Wow. <laughs> and so it was. It was, it, and, and the federal judge, he knew what he was doing. He said, if I, "They know if they lock a person up for a, a period of time, a whole a whole lot of time will pass, and the technology of life will pass. So when they come out, they're not going to be able to be sophisticated, and they're not going to be able to put their hustles down, and so they won't be of any threat, and they go right back to prison. That's why you have the re, re, revolving door because." Inmates don't realize that technology changed, society changed, and you don't change. And so, what I realized after I got out in 1992, I tried to go back to my old hustles, my old hearts, and it didn't work. In 1993, I was right back in prison. But from 1982 to 1992, I learned how to study law. I learned how um, uh, to play tennis real well. I learned how to uh, do yoga and meditate, and I uh, 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 was reading a lot of spiritual books, Eastern philosophy. I was reading Muktananda, Yogananda, and all the other swamis and yogis around the world. And I was uh, also uh, 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 doing arts and crafts, you know, learning how to make leathers, 
works, um, ceramics. So I spent my time really learning. But the the greatest gift I think I got was learning how to meditate because they kept me sane, they kept me safe, and they kept me out of harm's way in a lot of uh, uh, ways. Because in prison you can get in trouble because trouble's right right next door to you. So my meditating really, 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 really took off in federal prison. And also I learned how to do astral projection, you know, how to leave the body and travel to other places. Uh, <laughs> that's in my book also. That's in my mm-hmm. book also. It's uh, astral espionage. That's a nice, nice little story. <laughs> I learned how to do that. <laughs> and, um, and then I got out in 1992, and technology was, was so far advanced, I, I by the time I put my little hustle down, I was right back in jail. It was just a matter of minutes. I tried to steal this, do that, and I was kept kicking cases. I went right back to jail. And it was in a federal prison in Littleton, Colorado. It's where I met my spiritual teacher, Gangaji, and that's when my life changed because she had a prison project there, prison program in federal prison in Littleton, Colorado. And that's where I met her, and my life changed because after reading all the stu- studying all those years and reading and, 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 and meditating, going in and out of prison, you know, and, and wanted to commit suicide, I almost committed suicide, but it wasn't for a prison guard in 1982. You know, my life would have been, I'd probably be dead by now, but he came into my prison cell and said, hey, young man, that light inside of you won't die. That light won't mm. die. So you mm. can't kill it. You can't smother it out. And he pointed me towards an uh, African-American man who were very positive in jail, and they took me under their arm, their wing, as, as one would say, and they took me to the law library and uh, gave me hope. So you got <clears throat> in hope and fighting for the law, and they got to overturn my 40-year prison sentence. <clears throat> but I never overturned my prison sentence, but I did learn law. I spent the next five, six years fighting the system. By the time I realized that uh, the Supreme Court was going to deny my appeal, I was ready to come home. So my time was spent studying law, fighting law, reading spiritual law, and getting out of prison and going, coming back to prison in 1993. And it was uh, September 1994 is where I met my spiritual teacher, Gandhi. Mm. Mm-hmm. That was, that was, and that is a momentous occasion mm-hmm. because the occasion has not stopped. I mean, I mean, it's still here. That ex- that meeting with her is still here. Mm. That grace of meeting with my own heart, my own self, in the form of another human being is still here. And that's and why. She, I, and Gangaji um, does. Uh, she's still active and continuing yes. within prisons, yes. right? Mm-hmm. And um, maybe we'll yes. talk about that in a moment w- around this sacred mm-hmm. space as well. But the yes. thing that I I really and, appreciate and about Gangaji I, is, she, is we were we were in a chapel uh, September 1994. We were um, waiting for her to come in. She came in, her and a few volunteers. We start meditating. Then out of the meditation, she she used to have about a five ten minute meditation. She came out of the meditation. She looked over at me. She says, Kenny, I have been thinking about you. And I just blurted out the question, almost like spit it out at her. I said, Gangaji, Gangaji, Gangaji. I said, it's my understanding that we have to die before we, we can receive God's grace. The church tells us that you, know, you have to die and go somewhere, then maybe you receive God's grace. She says, Kenny, God's grace is here now. Mm-hmm. And Molly and, and my my most esteemed and honored listening audience, I want to take a moment to pause and say this. God's grace is here now. I don't know what the problem is. I don't know what the concern is, but God's grace is here now. And God's grace is here now, and it's available to you now, because there's only now. There never will be tomorrow. It never was yesterday. There's only now. So whatever you wanted and needed in life, you can have now. That is the truth. That is the promise. And that's based upon all the religious texts. There is nothing but this moment, this precious moment. And in this moment mm, 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 is 
take this moment uh, to yes. also invite everybody that's yes. with us now um, to yes. please ask or comment um, by pressing 1 on your keypad. Ask a question, um, make a comment, reflection in this powerful yes. now moment. Um, and yes. throughout the rest of our call tonight, uh, just mm -hmm. that's that invitation to to bring your voice into the circle if you have something you'd like to share. And um, ooh, thank you <laughs> for that. I, I I just I really appreciate you so deeply, Kenny, and your your um, powerful transmission of 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 that very truth. And um, mm -hmm. it's it, you know. It, it seems that what you provided was a haven for many people because you came to that truth through your very life uh, circumstances and in your quest for love um, in being also reminded that that light of you never dies. And to me, these principles are in many ways all of the things that guide guide us um, back home from wherever our journey takes us. In your case, it was in prison. And, and you know, as you know, the United States imprisons um, over a, a third of the world's population, even though we are uh, under 5% of uh, of the world's population, so we I think it's the the recent statistics statistics say that it's one out of a hundred people are imprisoned in the United States, and part of this yeah. this telecouncil series is really about um, looking at at our prison system our 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 justice system um, and and saying, okay, uh, enough is enough. And and also, you know, recognizing that it, it, it's having its own transformation even as we speak. Yes. There, there are many, many, many good things happening um, to show uh, us back to a better way of of addressing that quest for love, which ultimately um, leads people uh, at at some points. Uh, many of them here in the United States, especially into our prison system. Could you could you speak a little bit to what you think those you inside of the prison you were really um, at some you know you say in your book uh, people would be coming to you saying what you know what happened to you Kenny um, you know kind of coming to coming to look for some wisdom. Um, you provided a lot of solace for a lot of folks, and I, I wondered if you could speak to um, what, what do you think it is that that our system, or, you know, what, what was that energy first of all that was an attractor? Well, and well, you know, guys, you know, prison is a very depressing place, very depressing. You know, across the board, it's depressing. So if there's any light there people automatically gravitate to the light. And I, I after meeting Gandhi, I was just so in love. I was so full of bliss. There was my old husband buddies, they came to me and said, man, what's wrong? Man, what's going on? Let's go. Let's walk the yard, talk about selling dope and pimping and robbing. And I didn't want to do that anymore. And so they felt threatened and felt confused, like, wait a minute. You don't want to hustle no more? How are you going to take care of yourself? It went off on the deep end. You're going to lose your mind. And so I understood that. So my old friends fell away. Their old life, their old thing, symbolically fell away in the form of a physical uh, uh, manifestation of my friends. Their life had fell away. Uh, spiritually, the night before we got here, and the next day my friends saw me, I was changed, and they fell away. But what came into place with that, I had a, a newfound love in my heart. I just wanted to nourish that, be alone with that. And whoever wanted to be in love with themselves, those were the men that started coming to me. And those were usually the men who were child molesters, who were rapists, who were the homosexuals, who were being abused in prison. They wanted the light because they were on the bottom end of this totem pole, and they were receiving all of this 
stuff that was running downhill to them. So they wanted some type of light, some type of guidance, some type of sustenance or assurance that they were okay or they can get out of this. And so they started coming to me, and I started sharing my experience, experience and my insights and my wisdom. And I would counsel them on how to keep the girl friends. I would counsel them on how to talk to the uh, children when they go in the visiting room. I would counsel them on how to just to go to church and pray and read, and, and, and I would get books in to them so they could read spiritual material. And so I became somewhat of a spiritual counselor because I was so happy and I was so peaceful and so content all the time. Far more than all the other inmates, so people that started gravitating to me, the, the guards been bothering me. The, the, the system, prison became an a ashram to me, a monastery to me. It became a, a oasis to me in a lot of ways because I didn't see the bars, I didn't feel the bars. I was free inside of myself. And so that freedom was contagious, and other young men started catching it. And, and, and even uh, the prison yeah, guards started yeah. catching it. And, 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 and even the prison guards started catching it, right? Right. The prison guards, they started catching it because they saw that something had shifted and changed. And remember, the prison guards, they are, they are afraid. Right. Lives. Right. Because in a minute, an inmate is kill him. So can he be at peace while he's working there? So I talk to the prison guard, and they would find peace and working with the prison system, working inside as guards. So, and I would talk to the chaplains, and they would find some type of peace and, and, and say, well, I don't really understand what happened to you, but you look, you sound good, you look convinced that it's working for you. So I would, I, I would like a lot of, of my other inmates to uh, be able to talk to you and to experience what you experience. It would make my job a lot easier. And so it, it became a... Uh, 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 um, a paradise for the next two years. And I got out on the streets. I'm not paradise still to place because a little set of problems really came into place because now I had to go home, be a father, be a grandfather, be a son, and uh, uh, um, hold hold down a job. You know, pay taxes and everything. And that was a challenge for me. I never done anything like that. But throughout. It all, no matter what I was confronted with, I always had this love to fall back upon. I could just take a few moments of my day and just be quiet and, and reflect back on what's really important right now. And invariably, I would say, well, what's really important right now? And up will come, just be quiet. Just let everything go. It's going to be okay. If I got you out of prison, I'm going to take care of you here. Don't worry about it. I know it's a little scary, but I'm going to take care of you. And so I had this reassuring knowledge uh, talking to me, even though things were very scary and terrifying. My, my, you know, I, I, I had this knowledge that I was going to be okay. I, had, I got a job. I went to visit Gangaji after I got out of prison in uh, Colorado and met a lot of people there, made new friends. Then I realized I didn't want to live in Kansas City with my family anymore, so I moved to Colorado to be with my spiritual family. And my mother was happy. My mother was so happy. My mother was mm. so thrilled. Mm. And I say, why, why I started the prison program, why I love the prison work, I don't go in anymore, but I do go in and people invite me to a city or something. What, what The people that suffer the most are your loved ones, are your wives and the kids and your mothers. My mother suffered the most because she loved me. I was the oldest one, and she loved me, and she wanted me to be free. And so when I came out of prison in 1997, and she looked into my eyes, and she knew that I was free, I was talking different languages, I was hanging out with old buddies, she relaxed. She took a breath, a deep breath, and relaxed and said, Ah, thank you, Jesus. And my mother was finally free. She was free, too. See, when a person becomes free, they free up your loved ones. Mm, 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 mm. When you embrace this truth, everybody around you is freed up. Oh, mm. they're not tied. They're not chained to your suffering no more, and they're freed up. And they can ask you, what happened? How, how come you're different? Then you can share your spiritual experience with them. Mm, 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 mm. 
I just had that realization that my mother was freed also. Mm, mm, mm. I just had that mm. insight just now that my mother mm. became free. Mm, mm. Mm. Boy, that's powerful. Ooh. Ooh, thank you so much, Monica. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, yes. Yeah. And, you know, the, mm. this, this, the power of, of the message that comes through in this book and in your story, you mm. being you, living it all the way through, really is, uh, I, I tell you, uh, everyone who's gathered here tonight, just the, the power of this journey that you go into in, in, in The Last Hustle um, about the aspect of prison, you know, literal prison, but then also the prisons of our own uh, mental and, um, you know, the, the prisons of our uh, many, you know, there's many prisons. <laughs> And um, and that there's a lot of them that we may not even know we have, and so we love each right. each other back home. And I love you bringing up the. I mean, it's amazing that that you know we're having this moment where we're realizing that in our in our loving ourselves, in our coming home to the truth of of the the, the beauty and the divinity that we are, we also free free each other. We free those like ripples. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, your mama, I know your mama had, uh, had quite a journey herself, and, uh, Oh, yes, 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 yeah, yes. Yeah, and, mm, uh, mm, 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 and, mm. and what we pass down, you know, what we pass down, we do our best, and, and, uh, it just seems like we're all waking up together, and so it, could, could That's you tell right. us a, li- a little bit more, Kenny, um, about, uh, the work that you do, with this sacred okay. space, um, and also okay. I want to hear a lot about your new project that that you're forming for the Oakland inner city kids. Okay, well, and again, uh, I'd like to invite they, people to to make comments or have questions. Just press one on yes. your keypad. And and if you don't you don't feel comfortable doing that, you can always email me the question or whatever later on. You know, at Kenny at this sacred space dot org. Great. You can repeat that to him, Molly. Great. Okay. Thank you, Ken. Um, what, uh, what, 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 what I am finding, what I found when I was working with, I, I, what happened was I uh, had been out of prison since 1997. It was about 2004, 2005. I had a lot of jobs. I live in California now, and I uh, had a window washing business for the summer of 2005, I think it was. Uh, 2005. And what happened was uh, washing windows is okay in the summertime you know, in California, but wintertime it starts raining and you can't wash windows. So I was here, I was for fun with being broke again, had no money, couldn't pay rent. And, and just by chance, I met this wealthy guy in uh, Santa Samo, California, named Robert Leather. And he says, Hey, can you, um, I, I see your situation, you don't need to wash my windows, but I've been always wanting, wanting to do a prison program. Why don't you put together a budget and see how we can get you to start doing prison work? And so I put together a budget, and I talked with some friends, and next thing you know, about two or three months later, I had a, a, a commitment for him to do to go in his jails in the Bay Area and talk and share my spiritual experience. Because he was so touched by my uh, awakening experience, he said, you can be a great benefit to those incarcerated. So I went back into prison for five years, from 2005 to 2000, no, 2000, yeah, 5 to 2010. And I was sharing my insights with people in the county jail and halfway houses and treatment centers and, and uh, San Quentin prison. And also around the country. I was traveling around the country seeing, uh, visiting people in the prison. And each time there was always one or two people that would really catch this message. But then again, Gangji told me something. She says, Kenny, it's beautiful that you're doing this prison work, but realize your heart's going to be broken over and over and over and over again. I didn't know what she meant by that, but you know, I, I said, okay, sure. About four and a half years into doing this prison work, my heart was so broken over and over again because I would talk to them today, they would, come, they would get out and come back into the revolving door, and I knew that cycle. And I would talk to young teens, and they would say, well, man, you know, I want to be a gang. You know, I'm with my crew. I get out now. If I get out, they're going to kill me. And so it was like, oh, man, this is depressing. And I wasn't trained or taught, you know, uh, about burnout. I didn't know about burnout. 
So anyway, one day I, I came out, I was working with women. I loved working with women because women really could catch this message. They, were more, they could really feel me. It was San Francisco time jail. I walked out of jail one day and I said, I don't want to go back. And I went to the gun to the body. She said, I want you to write a book. I went to a book with her and put it out to the, to the family that wanted to write a book. They wrote checks. And for the next two years, next year, Shanti and I sat down and we hammered out the book. We gave it to an agent. The agent sat on it like he was trying to hatch more books. <laughs> <laughs> so I got the book back from him. I said, I'm going to self-publish. She said, no, you can't do it. So I went to a conference. I spoke. People were so impressed with my speaking. They said, if you understand you have a book, I'm going to publish it for you. The book got published by uh, Walter Press. Uh, August of 2011. Uh, it has been selling quite well, and I, a, a, a lady by the name of Lauren, who lives in South Hill, California, she says I'm going to print a thousand books and warehouse them in Oakland, and we're going to start sending them to inmates in prison. So we're in the process of doing that. So she contracted with a company in somewhere and with my publisher, and so we're going to print a thousand books. And we got to disseminate or, or, or spread them around the country, around the world, uh, as we uh, 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 put structure around my new organization. I'm going to also make sure that the books get sent out. I never have had a formal organization or formal structure around me. It's always been me with one man band. I still have a prison program in, in force in San Quentin. A gentleman by the name of Richard Charles. He's on my website. He's running that program. He goes in every Saturday, and he, I, I mentor him, taught him, and the men love him, and the men get a lot of, out of his uh, uh, spiritual spite and wisdom that he brings to the program every Saturday from 9 to 11, saying Quentin is called the Sacred Circle, and, and, and it's under the, of the sacred space. And I, uh, that, that's really rich program. I just, you know, raise funds, whatever, to uh, get stuff printed up and to... Um, travel and do speaking engagements. The book hasn't really been selling big, a, a lot to make a lot of money for me. So I've been um, living off donations and jobs here and stuff like that. <laughs> and so I uh, came, I, I, it was in December of 2011, I was just in a very deep, dark place. I didn't want to go job hunting. I didn't want to, you know, I don't want to pay rent again in the apartment. I, I, was, I was just tired, Molly. I was really tired. And so um, I, got really, I got really depressed. And I, the book, I wasn't doing public, public speaking engagements. I wasn't doing conferences. People were paying me $5,000 a day to do anything. So I'm, I'm sure I thought, I I thought you'd write a book and you'd, become, you'd be on Oprah the next day. You know, that was my childish mm-hmm. way of looking at it, or my innocent mm-hmm. way of looking at it, you know. Mm-hmm. And so what happened was, I was talking to a friend. He says, man, he, said, he was just talking about himself. He said, yeah, I went to India, man. India was cheap. And so, 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 so. I said, yeah, well, I'm not going to India. I said, prison was my India. I don't want me to do that, you know. And then uh, I was talking to a girlfriend. She says, you know, if I could, I would go to Bali. I said, Bali. Hmm. And I, when she said that, the word was, gosh, excited me. I went online, looked at how much cost a ticket, and I, and I saw I could afford a ticket. I called my landlord right there that day and said, I'm giving notice. I'm moving out next week. He says, what? <laughs> I said, yes, I'm moving out. And Molly, I, I booked a ticket. I, I, booked, I booked a flight for two months. I canceled all my engagements, and my whole spirit just got excited and happy. And, and I knew I wasn't going to have enough money to, you know, to do all the sightseeing things and buy stuff. But I knew I would get into living where I want to live. I, was, I knew I had to come to Bali. <sighs> mm-hmm. You need to take a pause. Now, now, yeah. We all so have a different... Other... Go ahead. No, I just wanted to, to, to ask if um, you could share with people... Um, where do, do we go to um, thelasthustle.com or thissacredspace.org? Um, can can we make a donation to support uh, yes. your work? Um, is that at the is that at thissacredspace.org? 
you just take a uh, the best one. The best way you can get the information to right now, if people have PayPal, that's the best way. Okay, great. Because great. Pay, yeah, because my, my PayPal account is Kenny at thissacredspace.org. dot org. Great. And and, and how, how you, that? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. No, I just I and, just would love and, it if you would share a little bit more about the specifics yes. of this this really beautiful project you shared with me um, via email that's uh, in its, its beginning stages. Is that correct? And it's yes. the, uh, the project yes. with inner city Oakland children, correct? I am. Yeah. Matter of fact, I'm sitting here writing up a business plan, or, 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 or my idea of a business plan, how to be supportive. What happened was when I got here to Bali, I didn't know why I was here. I got here, a friend got me an apartment, I got me a motorbike, and I was riding around. And one day I was, I was with a friend, I said, let's just get on my, on my motorbike and let's ride around. Let's ride up the hill toward the volcano. Let's ride around. And so, you know, we get on my motorbike, and we, I get gas for my, I was going to get gas for my motorbike, and I realized I didn't have any money. And so, a friend of mine who I just met named Ian, he came to me and said, where are you going? I said, I'm going up to, I'm going to ride my bike up north. He said, why are you riding? Stop off at Tampax Serene. I said, okay, sure. I didn't know what it meant. He told me how to get there. He said, let's ask people that pay to get to Tampax Serene. I said, cool. And so I said, oh, yeah, by the way, I don't have any money. Give me some money. So he gave me $200,000 in, in uh, Indonesian money for the $20. <laughs> so he gave me $20. And we took off. And I got the Tom Park Serene, and I popped my motorbike. We did. And we were walking down. I don't know what, Molly, I, to this day, I don't know where I was going, why I was going. All I know is that I was going to Tom Park Serene because this guy recommended me. I, I, I walked there. It's a temple, a Buddhist, uh, a Hindu temple. So I walked there, and I had my sarong on because I, I was wearing sarong. It's best to wear sarongs right here because you can't go in a temple without being wrapped in a sarong, man or woman. And I walked into this opening, and I saw all these people in this big old pool, and they're making prayers, and they're making offers to the gods. And I simply started crying. I said, this is what I came. You give thanks to this great mystery that saved me from prison. It was making a pilgrimage. And I just went in, and I just went under all the fountains, and just was just just praying, thank you, thank you, mother, thank you, mother, thank you, mother. It was about only about thirteen or fourteen fountains, and there's two fountains you're not supposed to go up under. But I went, I went, and I followed the crowd. I have pictures of it. I can send it to you. And I went, I went each one, and I was just so grateful for that guy in recommending it. And so, but. It was something in my heart that was calling me to come box a ring, but it needed in to point me in that direction. Mm, 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 mm. Mm. When your heart is right, God guides you every step of the way. You don't need to know how to go. God knows that God got God right next to you all the time. Mm, mm, mm. After we came out of there, I knew I was in the right place. I came here for the right reason. It was all about ritual. It wasn't about sightseeing for me. That's the next time I come. This time it was about the ritual, 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 ritual. And so we came back. I did a talk at a, at a, uh, at a bar, uh, uh, a, like a, a, writer's, uh, a writer's night, author's night. And I did a talk to about 60 people. And then people invited another place to talk. I talked another place not too long ago. But in the process of me doing this talk, I met a young lady named Carla, and she says, I'm going to uh, go to this city called Pottenbrae. Uh, then we're going to stop over this other guy's house, uh, uh, Peter's house, and so, she said, and so we, we can uh, uh, talk to him. And, and so Peter has a, a, a center in Cinnamon, uh, Bali called Narata, that's N-A-R-A-T-A center in Bali. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and so I went there and he said, Kenny, my daughter want to ask you a question. So I thought his daughter was about 20 years old or something like that. you know. 
So I get there at the dinner that evening. We get dressed up, calling and we get there. And he says, here's my daughter. His daughter's 11 years old. Her name is Maya. Maya's asking me a question. She says, Kenny, we have a thing called moksha here in Indonesia. Moksha means emotion, how we want to pronounce it. Mm-hmm. means uh, enlightenment. Enlightenment. I achieve enlightenment in this life. I said, of course you can. And she smiled and relaxed in her dad's arms. He asked the same question I asked her, Gangaji. I said, Gangaji, can I receive God's grace? I said, yes, you can. But that young girl asked me that question. Me and Carla, we went back to our room, and we sat and we said, I don't believe this. Do you believe this? A little girl like that is asking such a heavy question. And then Carla and I left there totally amazed the meeting, the interaction we had with the young girl. And we get to potting by, and when we get there, we're doing ritual in the middle of the, middle of the village. We're part of the ritual. And in this ritual, there's this guy called Rhonda. And Rhonda came out from the steps and out of the temple and run down the street and blessing everybody. And in Rhonda's hand, she has a handkerchief. And I asked the people the next morning about the handkerchief. And they said, that's her gun, her power. And I immediately said, oh, the young inner city kids in Oakland or in the ghettos or kids around the world, they want power. And they get it through guns. Young girls get it through having babies. But they got to have power because the mother don't give it to her or the, the school don't give it to them. But they want power. They want to know, can they receive God's grace? Can they wake up? Can they be free now? Because they're, they're going through their own suffering also. And so at the same time, Carla and I was having the same dream. We had a dream about holding a little baby. She said, I had a dream. I said, I had a dream. She said, I was holding a little baby. I said, I was holding a little girl. She said, mm. oh, my God. Things are still coming together. And so now I, we, either, we go to another uh, uh, area called Lombok, and we go to a beach called Kuda Beach, and I meet these beautiful little kids early in the morning when I'm doing a ritual at the ocean. And I meet these beautiful little kids. And just on a lock, I took a picture of these beautiful little kids on my on my uh, computer, and I saved that. I don't know if I sent that to you or not. I can send it also. You did, yeah. And then, okay. And then, uh, then that last day, we meet these beautiful four kids, and they want to take me to to the island to see the monkeys. So we go see the monkeys and everything. Then we're leaving, and as, as, as they're laying on the beach, these young men are drawing these pictures in the sand. And I go look at the pictures, and I knew, I said, this is my first retreat with inner city kids. I'm going to take them to the beach. We just going to let them draw. And, and what happened was each one of these young kids was drawing spontaneously in the beach like sand painting. And, it, and, it, and, it, and they were telling a story of what they want unconsciously. Young kids, if they aren't, they can tell you what they're looking for, what their dream is, what their first vision is, if you just let them be created, get, provide mm. them the creative space. Mm. And so, and then as I was talking to Carla, she says, Kenny, I've always wanted to teach young girls how to do something. She says, do you think I can teach them how to make hats? I said, of course. She says, that would be one of our first workshops, how young kids, inner city kids can make hats. As you know, Molly, black women really love their hats. They love their Easter bonnets. And so Christmas, they love their hats when they go to church. So I said, wow, think of this. Our Our first fundraising event, we'd have these young girls make these beautiful hats. Then on a Sunday afternoon, we'll have a fashion show, and these young girls will create the hat, and they'll tell you why they created it, how they created it, and what they created out of, and we have auctions, and they'll be, and they can see how they can be, the, 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 the work can be sustainable through us auctioning the hats out and selling the hat through our website and through other churches. And so I said, oh, my God, I, I am so, 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 so excited. I am so ready mm. to go back to Oakland. Mm-hmm. Go to the program and 
because I have a platform. Uh, I have a black church I'm affiliated with. That's my platform to work for. So I have the young kids there. I can start right there at, at my church and creating, bringing the program into being. Mm. And you'll still be doing work I, I with the, uh, at San Quentin as well, right? And and, yes, uh, yeah, yeah, and rich, going in yes, yeah. and working with, yeah, with inmates. Yeah, doing that, right. Yeah. Right. But, we, but before, you want to catch them before they become inmates. Right, exactly. You want to you catch them before they become, they, 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 they want to put a gun in their hand and, right. and get that power symbol. Right. You want to catch them in their 10, 11, 12, because best way you can shift society, you can shift consciousness without them even growing. So when the games come to them when they're 13, 15, 16, they're already a businessman. They already know how to make things. They already know how to become artists. Absolutely. They already know how to do. Yeah. So that's what my, my energy is. Most inmates, most convicts, they're so hard. They're so hardened. It's so hard. It's very difficult to get through. Mm. But you know, your, your work... I just want to say, um, I know many of us on in the circle tonight probably are familiar also with the work of Akila Shirelles. And um, mm-hmm. you're, it's ooh, very powerful and deep work. He, uh, for those of you who don't know, he, he has um, done really deep work around um, peace agreements with the Bloods and the Crips and um, does incredible right. work with youth. And so I really right. just want to say to you, Kenny, that this, this to me, this new project that you're you're starting, um, seems Moksha. like Moksha. yeah, it's called Moksha uh, or Moksha, mm-hmm. <laughs> as you were saying. Um, either way, yeah. you pronounce it. But I would just encourage everyone to please stay in touch with Kenny's work and to support it if you're so moved um, at this yeah. sacredspace.org. And you, and will you have a, a site for Moksha from for the Moksha project? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, as soon as I get back uh, to the East Bay, um, but right now I'm going to share with the audience. I'm in a precarious situation. I came here with a limited, limited fund, so I'm getting back to Oakland. When I get off the plane, I'll be, I'm virtually homeless in a lot of ways. That's why I was saying PayPal is the best way to support the work. I am a nonprofit organization, so you, at the end of the year, you would get a 501c3 uh, 1099 form if that's important to you. If not, then I would appreciate the donation. And the best way to right now, if you can mail a check to Kenny Johnson, Box 3, Fairfax, California, 94930. Uh, Wonderful, Kenny. Yeah, and I will, and, I will uh, uh, make sure that people know um, if you'd like to support his incredible work, um, where to go if, if you didn't get that down. Um, and, uh, I, you know, Kenny, I... I, this this hour has gone by so fast. Um, there's oh so God. much more for us to cover, <laughs> and I'm so yes, grateful I'm, that I'm you came you. in. You know that that you came in all the way from Bali um, to be mm. with us tonight. And you know, Kenny, I was so touched by uh, the book again, um, as I've shared many times tonight. And you know, we're talking about a book that that was um, praised by Jack Cornfield. David Primal and Maiten, Mariana Kaplan, Michael Mead, and many others. A book that has been in the hands of, uh, and Gangaji, um, in the hands of so many prisoners. Uh, this is a book that, that relates on such a deep level, not only to inmates, but to uh, us in this human experience. And in, uh, towards the end of the book, um, right before the epilogue, you share uh, a poem of sorts, um, and I'm wondering if I could could close tonight by sharing that poem, yes. and yes. Um, yes. and then inviting all of you to please support this powerful work, and also that the archive will be posted at mollyrowanpresents.com as well as Kenny on any of your websites that you'd like to share it out on. Yes. So yes. Uh, just in in closing tonight, um, you write. Uh, the, uh, that you share um, with every inmate in your programs, this poem. And it goes, The Lord has a work for you. This light inside you cannot die. I love each and every one of you. I do. 
I want the best for you. I see no difference in you than in myself. I know you can change because I changed. We are one. So it's been such a, a beautiful conversation with you tonight, and I thank all of us who have come together in the name of our unity and our shared human experience, in the name of the truth of love and of, of what real justice is in coming home yes. to this truth of this moment. So, Kenny, all, all of our love, and thank you so much for joining us tonight. Yes. Namaste. Peace. Namaste. Love. Thank you, everyone. Good night.